to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. Y'all ready to have some church today? Matthew chapter 28. I want us to read the story. Now the ground rule. We're going to celebrate the word. So if as we read this, you get excited, man. Go ahead and let Jesus know what you feel. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. Here we go. It gets good. It's good stuff. Y'all ready? Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards, the Roman guards, shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Y'all get ready, here it goes. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is not here, for he is risen. Just as he said, come here, come see the place where the Lord lay, and then go quickly and tell. Can I give you sermon number one, get it out of the way? After you've come to Jesus and seen him for who he is and he changes your life and saves you from your sins, you've come to him. Then you got to turn around and go tell somebody, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. So he said, come and see, then go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. You'd see him because he's alive. And behold, I have told you. And so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to bring his disciples' word. Good stuff, amen? Amen. Let's let's give the Lord a praise one more time that you can be seated. Hallelujah, you can be seated. So here we go, 2,000 years ago, in what is modern-day Israel, God's son came to this earth. He lived approximately 37, 38 years. Now, I don't want anybody to get confused because I've learned all my life that Jesus died at 33. How many have ever heard that? I've heard that my whole life, but I started doing some research and realized that's not true. He actually lived longer than that. He was probably about 37, 38 years old. And uh, he was crucified by Jewish and Roman leaders. He was buried in a borrowed tomb belonging to a man called Joseph of Arimathea. Certain women who followed him watched as a large boulder was rolled over the entrance of that cave-like grave. And for three days, his body laid in that tomb, held firm by death's grip. But on the third day, early in the morning, something miraculous happened in that tomb. The Bible tells us that God sent a great earthquake Obviously, that shook the ground. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled away the heavy stone. And in resurrection power, Jesus got up and walked out of that tomb alive, well, 
with a supernatural body glorified standing alone in the universe as the victor who had conquered sin and who had conquered death. Now, anybody want to shout hallelujah right now in this house? That's the story. Now, I want to just do two things today. And the first thing I want to do is I want to talk about the reality of the resurrection. I grew up in church, and when you talk about the resurrection of Jesus, it's something that I've heard all my life. And so I don't, I don't really have an inclination to doubt it. I, 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 it's just all what I've ever heard. But if you did not grow up in church, if you're new to Christianity, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, look, I know the possibility is if you hear a story of God coming to earth, robing with flesh, living for 30-something years, being crucified on a cross, stuck in a tomb, and three days later coming out in resurrection power, to you that may sound absolutely ridiculous. You may say that sounds like a fairy tale. But I just want to spend the next few minutes telling you that the, there is reality to the resurrection. Y'all, it actually happened. It actually happened. It is a historical fact, not a work of fiction. Its evidence demands a verdict that affirms its historicity. So let me just talk about that for a few minutes. Here's the first evidence, and it's so simple. Y'all ready for this? There's an empty tomb. He's not there. <laughs> the same women who saw his dead body being placed in the grave saw the stone rolled away and the grave unoccupied. They ran and told Peter and John, and Peter and John, two of his disciples, ran to the tomb, looked in and saw that it was empty, then walked in the tomb and noticed on a slab that his grave clothes were still lying there untouched as if Jesus' body dematerialized and came through it and he left it. But I do love this because the head napkin around his head was folded up. Ladies, you ever find a man that'll actually fold something? That's something, isn't it? And the Lord folded his clothes. He folded the napkin and laid it over at the side is just to make sure to let you know, yeah, I got up and I cleaned up before I left. They saw it with their own eyes. The Roman guards who were antagonistic towards Jesus, placed there by Pontius Pilate, obviously, ultimately the Jewish leaders, to prevent the disciples from stealing his body, witnessed the resurrection for themselves. They knew that Jesus was no longer in a tomb. But here's the simplest thing that any of us can do. Go buy you a plane ticket, get on a plane, fly over to Tel Aviv and go to Israel. Some of you've done this. Go to the place where the Holy Sepulchre is and you can see for yourself. Look in there and see, he ain't there. He's not there. He has risen from the dead. I love at this point to tell a story that I learned from one of my college professors when I was in Bible college. Dr. George Voris was one of the most unbelievable, brilliant guys in the world, still living. He has two earned doctorate, knows the Bible like you've never seen in your life in one of the one of the most powerful preachers you will ever hear. Unbelievable preacher. And when I was in a Bible class uh, there at, at, in, my, in my Bible college uh, years ago, I never forgot him telling this story. Dr. Voris took a group of people to the Holy Land on a tour. He was the tour guide. And he took them there. Now, they got to the Holy Sepulcher. They got to the grave. And Dr. Voris told the group, he said, now we're gonna have communion. This is very common. Groups do this. He said, but here's how we're gonna do it. He said, 
y'all go in there and have communion. Have, go in there and do that because then they would let him go in the tomb. He said, go in the tomb, have communion. He said, I'm going to stay out here. And so either that or he went in with them, but he, he said, I'm not taking communion with you. So they had communion, took communion. He sent them back out of the cave and he stayed in the communion with his wafer and his grape juice. And he said, I took that wafer and that grape juice and I held it and I started thinking about the death of Jesus. And he said, I started thinking about what that death accomplished. And he said, then I started thinking about this tomb and being empty and what happened on that third day. He said, I took that communion and he said, then I started talking to death. And I, he said, I said, death, you thought you had him, didn't you? You put your icy cold firm grip on him and held him down for three days and you thought that was it. You thought you could hold the son of God down, but he showed you something on that third morning, didn't he, death? He showed you that you can't kill the son, that life. You can't kill the king of life. You can't kill God. He showed you death. You realize that you had to let go of your icy grip because when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, he meant it. Dr. Voris said, after I ate that wafer and drank that cup, he said, I had myself a shouting time in there. I'm telling you, there's a reason we shout. There's a reason we worship. There's a reason we sing these songs at the top of our lungs and get excited it is because it is a fact that Jesus isn't in the tomb he's in this house and he's he left the tomb so he could come in my heart he left the tomb so he could come in this house this morning there's a reason we can celebrate that Jesus is alive hallelujah there is the reality of the empty tomb but there is also a second Reality, and that is his post-resurrection appearances. I love this. Now, you have to understand, the witnesses that I'm about to talk about are very credible witnesses. The gospel writers are credible witnesses. People say, I don't believe in the Bible. Well, you, you can say that all you want, but the evidence for the validity of the Bible for that work of antiquity is greater than the validity of anything you ever read in Shakespeare in high school. Shakespeare, Iliad, Odyssey, the Iliad, any of that. It, the, the, the evidence and validity for the, the Bible far outweighs any other work of antiquity. There is nothing that makes us doubt John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Nothing. You cannot find anything. Their stories match up. They were credible witnesses. And they talked of credible witnesses. For example, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene and then to Peter. He met with the apostles on several occasions. He walked with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He showed himself alive to his biological stepbrother, James, who eventually became an apostle and the head of the Jerusalem church. On one occasion, he was seen by over 500 people at once. And these were not hallucinations. They saw him. They heard him. Some of them touched him. He was not a ghost. He was not a phantom. They saw the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. The body that had been placed in the tomb had been miraculously raised, changed, and glorified. It was endowed with supernatural qualities. And because they saw him and heard him and touched him, this is empirical evidence. One of the strongest forms of evidence to validate anything. Hundreds of witnesses observed and experienced the resurrected Jesus for themselves. Y'all, he's alive. But there is even one more that I think carries some of the greatest weight, and that is the transformation, radical transformation, of discouraged, depressed disciples 
into powerful witnesses of Jesus Christ. Yesterday, um, you know, I like to fish. Well, Mary Best family's here this morning. The Elliots are all here. And uh, I love to fish. And I know that Mary Best's younger brother, David, loves to fish. I totally, I said, I'm calling David. David, when they get in town, we're going fishing in the morning. Y'all, it was 45 degrees and the wind was blowing yesterday. I love to fish. Y'all just got to figure that out. So David and I got on the lake. We caught fish. We had a good time. I felt so sorry for David. He's from Florida. I said, brother, your blood's going to be so thin. I had a big old heavy coat for him and a toboggan and gloves. But we got out there and we caught fish. Well, when we got back, we were starved. It was lunchtime. And David's uh, wonderful dad, Fred, who's here this morning, he said, I'm going to go with you. We went to lunch and we had a great time at Chipotle. Just, we, we're about like family. Their family, our family is about like family. We was having a good time. Just all the blue, I, you know, I was on my mind. Fred, it was just because I'm a preacher. You know, I get, you, we get in bubbles. And I just, I kind of looked at Fred. I said, you know, I wonder what the disciples were thinking and feeling and experiencing right now on Saturday, 2,000 plus years ago. I, I wonder, and Fred said, I, he said, they were grieving. You got to know. I said, yeah, and they were grieving. And then I got thinking they were probably terrified because, because the, he, they were probably scared to death that the Jewish leaders were going to go banging on the door. And just like they did Jesus in the garden, they were going to drag them out and crucify them. I think they were just scared out of their wits. And I, and I read recently that, and I thought this was interesting, that Saturday is the day, I think Saturday is the day that we don't think a lot of on Easter weekend. We always concentrate on Good Friday because he died. We think about Sunday because it's Easter and he rose. But what about Saturday? Saturday represents the time in your life when everything seems hopeless and there seems to be the end of any hope and you have all these these absolutes, but they're all negative. Things are always going to be this way. Things are never going to change. And there seems to be no hope. And you feel like God's not there. And all your dreams have been dashed. And the vision is gone. Think about it. Everything they believed on Saturday, it seemed it was all dashed. And they were just, let me just say to you this morning, if you're at a place in your night life right now or that just described you and you feel like God doesn't care and you feel like you're at, the, you're at a place where it just seems like it's gotten so bad, nobody could ever make it better. All your dreams got, your plans got destroyed. You had all these ideas, but everything just got clipped. Your feet got clipped out from under me. Listen to me this morning. And you think God doesn't care? That's a lie of the devil. God always cares. And God knows who you are and God knows where you are and he has not let you down. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He said, I am with you always, even to the end of your world. And I know this is old cliche kind of preaching, but it's too good to leave it alone. If you feel like it's Saturday in your life and you're wondering if God even knows who you are, don't give up your faith. Don't shipwreck your faith. It may be Saturday, but Sunday's coming, honey, and he will show up and everything that you've been wanting God will bring it to pass in your life come on y'all these men were discouraged and down and terrified but once they saw the risen Lord they were convinced that he was no longer dead they were convinced that he was the son of God they were convinced that he was the savior of the world and these fearful disciples were transformed into courageous witnesses of the resurrection they didn't care who they told they didn't care about the negative consequences they went out all over the world and told everybody now listen you hear me preach this but I, I got to thinking about this and I went back and did some research and I should have brought my glasses because I wrote too small 
I do, but I'm going to try this. Thank you. So here are the 12 apostles. Here's what happened to these men who went everywhere declaring that Jesus was the son of God, died and rose from the grave. Peter was crucified upside down for his faith. Andrew was crucified for his faith. Thomas was killed by Roman soldiers. Philip was killed by crucifixion for his faith. Matthew was stabbed to death for his faith. Bartholomew was beaten and beheaded for his faith. Uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned and clubbed to death for his faith. Simon the Zealot was crucified for his faith in Jesus. Matthias, who became the disciple that replaced Judas, was um, uh, 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 burned to death for his faith. James, the brother of John, was the first one to die, he was killed by King Herod. Thaddeus was crucified for his faith. And then there's John. John who wrote the gospel. John the revelator. John who wrote three books. You know, John, John died of natural causes. The only one. But you know what? They tried. They stuck him on the Isle of Patmos and tried to kill him on a rock quarry, but it didn't work. Then history says they decided to kill him and they put him in a boiling cauldron of oil and tried to boil him to death. And God said, nope, ain't gonna happen. And he's sitting in a boiling cauldron. They tried to make fried chicken out of him. And he wouldn't fry. They finally said, put the fire out and get him out. It's not working. And he's ill. But here's my point. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Listen to me. Here's my point. If it was a lie, if it was a hoax, if it was a scam, if it was a potential scandal, here's 12 opportunities for one of these men who are facing unbelievable death. Crucifixion is a horrible death. Any, at any point, at any time, at least one of these guys could have said, wait, it's not true. It didn't happen. We made the whole thing up. I'm not going to die for a lie. It's not true. I recant it. But here's the point. Not one of them did it. Every one of them died a martyr's death because they could not deny what they had seen and experienced for themselves. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm about to get Pentecostal in this house. They said, we cannot deny what we know. He is not in the grave. He is a alive and well and we're going to tell everybody about it come on somebody praise him in this house my God Woo! how many are glad Jesus is alive there's too much evidence that demands the verdict and yet there is not just the reality of the resurrection but I think we ought to talk for a few more minutes about the significance of the resurrection I think that's important because you may be sitting there asking all right so what is it that big a deal? <laughs> More than you know. Here's the first thing I want to tell you. The resurrection is evidence that God accepted Jesus' atoning work on the cross. Okay, look. How many of you know only God can raise the dead? Only God can raise the dead. I know that Jesus was 100% God. With the incarnation, it was the addition of humanity. The incarnation never subtracted deity from him. It was only the addition of humanity. So that's why we preachers say he was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And I know that the, the, the God part of him was a living being, spirit being. And so when the physical body of Jesus died, Jesus didn't die. His spirit didn't die. Nobody's spirit dies. Your spirit lives on. Of course, he's, he is spirit. God is a spirit, Right? That's what John 4 says. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
So we know that the spirit part of Jesus, but there's the body. The body is still, the body part, the human part is dead. It has no life. They killed it. They drained the blood out of it. They killed it. So it's laying in that tomb. Once Jesus died, God the Father would have to intervene and by his mighty power through the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, he would have to raise Jesus from death's grip. So y'all, here's the point. If Jesus had failed to serve adequately as our sacrifice for our sin, the offering of himself in death would have not been accepted by God. So that means that he died for the sins of the world, but if he had remained dead, how could he redeem others? You see, there was significance. He said, well, he was still alive. Yeah, but it was a package deal. He said, but he was still alive, right? So he could still say, "Mm mm-mm. It was a package deal because the, because the human part of him represented us. He is the firstborn of a whole new, I'm about to preach my second point, of a whole new creation. You had to get the body out of the tomb and resurrect. That had to come to life because that becomes the type. That becomes the, the what is it when you have a product that's your, your, your prototype? Jesus was the prototype yes. Yes. of us. So the body had to come out. We had to, we had to be able to see what resurrection bodies were going to be like. And so he was the one to show us. He had to be resurrected. Here's the good news. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Jesus met all the divine qualifications established by God. And God did raise him up from the grave. And here's the point. What's the point, pastor? What's the significance? Here's the significance. That act by God assures every person in this room that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is who he declared himself to be. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He can be your savior. He is the healer. He is the deliverer. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the vine and you are the branches. He is the doorway to the sheepfold. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life and takes it back up again. It validates who he is and his work for us to save us from our sins. It demonstrates that the cross was and is the power of God for our salvation. That's why we Christians get all all shook up and fired up about this. Because we know the when he said it is finished, He wasn't kidding. (laughs) Here's the second significance. The resurrection was the beginning of a new humanity. A new humanity. Jesus conquered death in death and showed it by his resurrection. That's a good line right there. Jesus conquered death in death and then he showed it by his resurrection. As the firstborn from the dead, he is the actual beginning of a new order of humanity. Have you ever thought about that? When you get saved, you become part of a new order of humanity. When when you throw yourself on the mercy and the grace of God and you place your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross, you repent of your sins, you ask God to forgive you of your sins, the Bible assures us that he graciously washes your sins away, cleanses you, transforms you, and makes you a new person. Sinners who get saved aren't reformed, they're transformed. 
If anyone be in Christ, is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. When we have baptisms next Sunday at the YMCA, we're going to have some funerals. That's right. Every baptism is a funeral service. We're going we're gonna to take new camp. By the way, you want to hear something cool? Two weeks ago, we had a lady come here as a grandma. She got saved, gave her life to Jesus Christ. The next Sunday, which was last Sunday, she brought her granddaughter to church and her granddaughter got saved, gave her life to Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody ought to celebrate the work of Jesus. He did it. So they went and signed up for baptism. So I'm hoping Sunday, next Sunday, I'm gonna baptize grandma and granddaughter. Is that cool or what? Ain't nothing you're gonna have this week be cooler than that. So just quit looking. So when we have baptisms and... And, and hopefully Sheila's going to be there. And I'm going to take Sheila in the water. If Sheila's here, she's saying, good Lord, preacher's preaching about me. Well, that's all right. Sheila gets in the water. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to say, hey, anybody? I'm not going to say this, but here's basically what we're doing. Hey, anybody know Sheila when she wasn't saved? Well, that's okay, but you ain't going to see that person anymore. She's dead. And what do we do with dead people? We bury them. So say bye-bye to old Sheila. <laughs> And we bury that person. There is significance in baptism. That's why Jesus commanded it. Because what it's saying is, you may have known what I used to be. You may have known me as I used to be, but get ready. There's a new me. There's a new, and that's why we bring them up just like a resurrection. We bring them up out of the water in newness of life. And you see, Sheila will go in dry, but she'll come up wet. When you get saved, you change. It's transformative. You get down on your knees a sinner, but you come up a saint. You go in full of sin, but you come out full of the Holy Ghost. You, you go in dirty, but you come out clean. I'm trying to tell you this morning, there's a funeral. Oh, they, that's why you don't, talk. when you get saved, you don't talk like you used to talk. You don't go where you used to go. You don't think like you used to think. And nobody has to walk around trying to tell you there's something that's happened inside of you. And you're changed by the power of God. And you don't want to be that person. You want to be like Jesus. That's why I've said for years, if you're saved, you're saved. You're either saved or you're not. And it'll show in who you are and how you live because now you are in Christ. It's transformative. There's a new humanity. I want to tell you a story. I had forgotten about this story and I was just reading through some notes and I saw this. I said, man, I forgot all about this. I got to tell you a story. This has been a few years ago. Uh, there's a there was a lady at our church. She was a teller at a major bank and, and she's the one that told me this story. Her teller supervisor share with her how her husband was part of an Easter play. Okay, churches do Easter plays. And so the play was presented at their church and here's what happened. They couldn't find anybody in the church that could adequately play the role of Jesus. So they went to one of the local colleges, I don't remember which one it is, and they got, a, 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 and I don't know if it was a student or a professor, but they got someone, an actor from a local college and said, we want to hire you to play the part of Jesus in our Easter play. And the, and the man said, sure, I'll be glad to do that. And, and he was being a paid actor. They didn't know his spiritual condition. They didn't ask. They just brought him in for the performance. All right, they did the performance. This actor is playing the role of Jesus, dying on the cross, putting in a tomb, coming out in resurrection power, the whole nine yards. They said the, the, the play ended. The pastor came out to conclude the service but he's trying to conclude the service. There's a, there's a ruckus going on backstage. 
Nobody knew what was going on. Later, they found out. As soon as the play was ended and the curtain came down, the, the, the man playing the role of Jesus fell on his knees backstage and started weeping and crying and prayed through and gave his life to Jesus Christ. He's, he role-played the, the role of Christ and through that saw the gospel and realized, and they said all he could do was say, he did it all for me. I don't understand it, but he did it all for me. He did all this. For, I came here this morning to say to you, he did it all for you. He did it all for you. You'd better give him praise because he did it all. If you're saved, understand he did it all for you. If you've been changed, you better understand he did it all. Come on, somebody give him praise in this house. Hallelujah. He wasn't thinking about somebody else. He was thinking about you. Aren't you glad? Hallelujah. 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 Glory be to God. Why don't you have a seat? I'll finish this sermon, this message. Just keep worshiping. It's a new humanity. Okay, so we know God accepted Jesus' atoning work. It's the beginning of a new humanity. These born-again crazy believers like us, us. Here's the last one. I'll be finishing up with this. The resurrection is the pledge, the guarantee of the future resurrection of the new humanity, future resurrection. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds my future. And life is worth the living now and forever just because he lives. Through the cross, Jesus conquered sin. Through the resurrection, Jesus conquered death. There is a question that everybody on this planet, sucking air, eventually asked themselves. If I die, will I live again? And for those who are saved from their sins and have been made new creations, who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ, that answer is yes. Now, I'm going to put a scripture on the screen that we ministers use oftentimes in funerals, but I just want to preach it to you today. Paul said, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, sleep of death, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. And so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? And oh, grave or Hades, where is your victory? Now this week, it's amazing how the Lord just sets you up for things you can't plan I don't know. It was one day this week I was working. I got hungry. It was lunch. I decided to go to the meeting place. I like the meeting place. They got meat and vegetables, my kind of cooking, my kind of eating. I know Matt, the owner, been going there for 20 years. And so I went to the meeting place. I took my iPad. I've got my e-book on there, or iBook rather, and, and electronic books. And I just, I wanted to read. I've been reading this book. And so I thought I'm going to get my meal and just read and, you know, just have a little quiet lunch and, and then keep moving and I walked in and 
just happened to sit in a booth next to two ladies that I know very well. The one lady actually has, through the years, has had connections with our church through family relationships. The other lady I only know indirectly because she's, she's patronized the meeting place for many, many years. So we've seen each other. You become acquaintances when you eat at the same place all the time. So I said, hey, to him, and we talked a little while. And then I sat to the booth and I started eating. I was reading my book. Well, I don't know what they were talking about, but all of a sudden the conversation changed and they started talking about the resurrection. I don't know why, but they said they were trying to figure it out. I could catch bits and pieces, but I heard this. Well, let's ask Chris. He'll know the answer. He's a preacher. We are on call 24-7. I didn't even give her a chance to tap me on the shoulder. I just turned around and said, what's up? She said, okay, we, we're, we're sitting here trying to figure this out. She says, when Jesus comes back and he's going to snatch away the living saints and there's going to be the resurrection, the righteous dead, how does it work? I said, well, I don't obviously have all the answers to that. There are things that we just don't know, and some of it we just got to piece together. And I said, I've really studied this thing for 30 plus years trying to figure it out, and I've changed my mind on some things. I said, but I'm going to give you, and they were throwing questions. I said, I'm going to give you just what I understand from the Bible. Right now, if you're born again, you serve the Lord, you have faith in Christ, you're living for Jesus, you die, the Bible says, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So you go straight into heaven. And they said, well, what's your body like? I said, I have no idea. I said, heaven is a spiritual realm, and yet there are physical aspects to it. I don't know. I said, the Bible says that we shall know even as we are known. I said, so you can identify people. It's not like we're just a bunch of Casper the Friendly Ghost floating everywhere. I said, there's, a, there's some kind of a spiritual body that, that it looks like me, but it's spiritual. I said, I don't have all the answers there. I said, but here's what I do know. That when I die, okay, my body, my physical flesh, this jar of clay goes in the ground. And here's what I understand, that at the resurrection, when Jesus comes back, by the way, he's coming back. If he came the first time and said he's coming again, why would, you, why would we doubt him? So he's coming back, and he's going to come with a shout and the sound of a trumpet to catch his saints away and to resurrect the righteous dead. I said, so here's what I understand. When that happens... God will take the molecules of your body that have decomposed, the decomposed, and he will recompose them and bring them back together. God can do anything, and he can take all of your molecules, molecules wherever they are, and bring them back together into, into a body that's your body, my body. It'll be Chris the Star's body. And I said, it'll be a glorified body. And I said, so it's not like my old body. It is, but it's special now. Okay, and I said, now, I've thought about this. I do not want to be laying in a casket somewhere over at Forest Lawn and, and my spirit body, man, come back into my body and I'm laying in a casket. I got claustrophobia. I, I hope the Lord knows. I don't want that. How many of y'all don't want that? Okay, because it's going to be, that's not going to be joyous. <laughs> Ain't going to be no joy in that resurrection. What I think is going to happen is that I think because this, this happened, I think the body, I think God will reform my body, glorify it. It will dematerialize through a casket and six feet of dirt and come out on the ground. It'll come out because I got to go up and I got to get free to go up. So I think I'm going to come up and materialize. And, and all this is going to happen in a split second, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to be so fast, you won't even be able to experience it. You won't be able to, you won't, slow motion won't even catch this. And my spirit man is going to come back in that body, but it'll be my body. 
It won't be weird because it's my body. It's my, my body. I, except it's going to be a different body, but the corruptible body will put. So where I have an L4, L5 problem in my lower back and I live with back pain constantly, ain't going to be no more back pain because my back's going to be healed. Matter of fact, my, my back can never degenerate again. I won't have to worry about heart disease, lung disease, any kind of cancer. The cure for cancer is a glorified body. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, rheumatoid arthritis, no diseases will ever touch me because this corruptible will put on incorruption and I will never die again because this mortal shall put on immortality. And then God's gonna catch me up and snatch me up into heaven and then all the rest of us, all y'all, if y'all, y'all still living and Jesus comes, you're going to have a glorified body in that moment. Shoop. I had to put some sound effects in there. Shoop. I don't know what's going to happen, but your body's going to be changed. And then you're going to fly like Superman. And what a time we're going to have in heaven. And that's why Paul said when it happens, death will be swallowed up in victory swallowed up when I swallow something you ain't gonna see it again at least I hope not you get the bug you might see it again let's leave that alone but when I swallow it it's gone right when Jesus died on that cross he began a process of swallowing. He defeated death. Satan had the keys of death, but now Jesus has the keys of death. Jesus has, a, let me tell you something. When you die and when Jesus comes back, that will be the final swallow. Death will be swallowed up. We won't see death anymore. You don't. Have, some people say, I'm afraid to die. You don't have to be afraid to die because when you leave this life, you're going to heaven to be with the Lord. You're going to still be you. And when you come back to this earth, you're going to be back in your body. Why, do you want to walk around here in your sick body why don't you go up there and then let Jesus glorify it one day then get back into it it'll be a whole lot better then some of y'all shouting some of y'all going I'm going to have to think about that oh death where is thy sting <laughs> I tell this at funerals a little boy was allergic to bees. Family was riding down the road with all the windows open and a bee got sucked in, started flying around that room. That little boy screamed at the top of his lungs, Daddy, Daddy, there's a bee in here. Oh, God, Daddy, there's a bee in here. Daddy, Daddy, help me, help me, God. He's praying to God and talking to his daddy. His daddy slowed down the car, reached out and grabbed that bee with one hand, held it. And that boy stopped screaming and crying because now he was safe. Then a minute, the daddy let his hand open. The bee started flying around. The kid started screaming again. He said, son, 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 stop, 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 stop. He said, that bee can't hurt you. He said, look in the palm of my hand. And there was the stinger. The daddy took the sting out. Daddy took the sting out. I'm gonna tell you one, 2,000 years ago, the son took the sting out of death. Death can fly around all at once too and try to scare the living daylights out of you. But the reality is he took the sting out of death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your death and Death and the grave have lost their victory. It's just a temporary separation, honey. But one of these days, God will bring it all back together again and we're gonna live forever in victory.
Come on, somebody praise him this morning for that truth. John chapter 11, there's a story of Jesus and his good friend Lazarus, and Lazarus died. And Jesus eventually showed up. Lazarus at this point is buried in the cave, just like Jesus was with the stone rolled over, rolled over the door. He'd been dead for three or four days. And Martha looked at him and, and said, you know, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And they had this conversation. And eventually Jesus said to Martha, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked her a question. He said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus is the author of the future resurrection. But did you notice his qualification in his words to Martha? He said, he or she who believes in me. This is more than believing that Jesus was a real person. This is more than believing that Jesus is a savior. I've met many people through the years who are affiliated with church. I've met people, this is crazy, I've met people that can quote scripture better than some of my church members. And if you talk to them, they'll say, oh yeah, I, I, I'm, Jesus was real. Oh yes, I believe Jesus can save you from, but they live in sin, can quote scriptures, but they live in rebellion and rejection against God. It's not believing that he is a savior, it's believing that he is your savior. Jesus asked Mary, do you believe this? He's asking you the same question today. Do you believe this? And how you answer this question is the difference between life and death. How you answer this question determines where you will spend eternity, whether it's in heaven or whether it's in hell. And Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And she wasn't just making a theological statement. When she said, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, that was a statement of salvation. She was saying, I believe that you're the one who has come to redeem us and save us and bring God and man back together. And I believe that that's who you are. That's who you are to me. I guess this morning what I'm asking you is, do you believe this? Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.